Well, friends, we're turning our attention uh, back again to the Gospel of Mark, and it's the first chapter of Mark. We're going to read aloud the text that we have uh, before us this morning. I'm going to read it out loud. Um, I would ask you, as you're able, to stand for the reading of God's Word. Um, stand now as you're, as you're able. And, uh, and then I'm, I'm going to read it out loud, and then when I've read the text, uh, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and we'll respond together, thanks be to God. It's Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 20. <clears throat> Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he, that is the Lord Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ means embracing a whole new life. To be a disciple of Christ, to be a follower of the Lord Jesus, to respond to the gospel call is more than just a matter of the mind. It's more than just a matter of the desires. It, it does mean embracing a whole new life, a whole new way of life and thinking. As we've begun to study Mark together, uh, we've seen Mark walk us through a series of introductions. He's introduced us to the Lord Jesus Christ and John's ministry and Christ's baptism and the temptation in the wilderness. He also introduced us, as we looked last week at verses 14 and 15, he's introduced us to the work that the Lord Jesus was doing, the, the ministry of proclaiming the gospel and calling for a response to the kingdom that had come with him. And now this morning, we have another sort of introduction. We are introduced to the disciples of the Lord Jesus, that is, those who respond to that gospel call in the affirmative, believing the gospel and following Christ. We're introduced to what it looks like to begin to follow Jesus as a disciple. Now, as, as we've seen in all of these uh, introductions, really, in the beginning part of Mark. Uh, Mark is summarizing things for us. He has a very careful uh, economy of words that he's using. He, he gets to the, to the heart of things and leaves it there. And so this morning what we have is a sort of a summary of that response to the gospel message as the Lord Jesus calls these individuals to respond to him and to follow him. And we see that this call to discipleship is not just a call to, again, affirm intellectually some truth, but it is a call to a real radical change of life. Mark summarizes this account of what happened with Simon and Andrew in just very few words, and then he repeats it for us, which in some ways is unlike 
It is not a superfluous detail that he would throw in after mentioning what happens with Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, that he would explain that James and John went through a very similar sort of call and responded in a very similar sort of way. I think what Mark is doing in repeating this for us is making it clear to us that this is not a, a unique one-time thing that happens with Simon and Andrew. But rather, this is a pattern as the Lord Jesus calls individuals to follow him. It is a pattern that we see all throughout the Gospels as he calls individuals to follow him. It's a pattern that we see in the Apostle Paul's life. It's also a, a pattern that we see all throughout church history. And it is the same pattern in our own lives today if we are to respond to the gospel's call to discipleship. And because this is laid out for us in this summarized way so clearly, I think there are three lessons that we can learn about what discipleship is. Three lessons about a right response to the gospel in discipleship. That is, discipleship involves a, a leaving behind of an old life. It involves a following of the Lord Jesus. And it involves a certain working for him. That'll be our outline this morning, those three lessons. Number one, the Lord Jesus calls us to leave our lives in response to the gospel. Number two, he calls us to follow him. And number three, he calls us to work for him. Now first, when the Lord Jesus calls to discipleship, he calls us to leave our lives behind. We see this in the text here in verse 18. Having been called immediately, they, Simon and Andrew, left their nets and followed him. And when he calls James and John, verse 20 tells us, immediately he called them and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Now, for these, for these disciples, for these men, it was a, a literal and necessary step to leave behind their lives if they were to follow the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus was literally, physically standing before them there as he passed alongside the Sea of Galilee. And he told them, follow me. And physically following him on the road of discipleship demanded that they leave their nets behind and go. You could not have it both ways. It was the one or the other. And by the way, uh, it's worth noting here that for these fishermen to leave behind their nets was no small thing. I think probably many of us have worked jobs before that we would be very happy in a moment's notice to walk away from that cubicle or from that grill or from that desk and never look back. It would be an easy thing to do. It was not so with these fishermen. Those were their nets. Those were their boats. They were deeply invested in the work that they were doing their whole lives. Their livelihood was wrapped up in what they were doing. They were not just hired hands. So when they turn and walk away, they are walking away from something substantial. They're walking away from more than just a job. They're walking away from their whole way of life. 
up to that point. They literally have to leave their lives behind to follow Jesus. Now, for us, our call to leave behind our lives, the, the response is not often quite as literal, but it is just as necessary if we are to be followers of Jesus. For some of us, it may be very literal. For some of us, it may involve walking away from a job, walking away from a business. For some, it may involve walking away from property, from possessions. It may even involve walking away from family. There are many, many brothers and sisters over the generations since Christ spoke these words to the disciples who the call to discipleship has involved turning away from everything they knew in life and going to a place to serve in the mission field or to serve and seeking the kingdom of God advancing in the world. And it very much looked like walking away from their nets. Now, some of us may have that call to go and to leave behind much. But for all of us, the call to discipleship is a call to leaving, the call to leave behind something, the call to leave behind an old life. It's a call to leave behind certain relationships, to leave behind a certain reputation, a call to leave behind money or the means to get it. In some ways, a, a call to leave behind dreams that have motivated us, goals that have defined our lives, a, a call to leave behind our own agendas and our own plans, to leave behind the lives that we chose when we understood ourselves to be the rulers before Jesus Christ the King appeared and said, come follow me. That's necessary because he is the King and not me. And to recognize him as the king looks like abandoning my own kingdom for his. It's important, friends, that we understand that the Lord Jesus calling us to be a disciple of his, calling us to be a Christian and to trust in him, is not him offering himself to sit as one of many counselors in the boardroom of our heart and mind. It's important that we understand he's not offering himself as, as one of many voices that will give us help and whisper in our ear. And when Jesus Christ calls us to respond to the gospel, he calls us to abolish the board and bow before the king. He will be the one who rules. And if we're going to recognize that he is the one, by necessity we must recognize that I am not the one. And the life that I had designed, the agendas, the goals, the dreams that I had laid out for myself before I knew him or before I understood this call, well, those things can no longer be the end for which I'm striving. There is a, a danger, I think, in the time that we are living right now uh, to miss this part of discipleship. The gospel of Jesus Christ is sometimes preached in churches in such a way that makes it sound as if the problem in your life and the suffering in your life is the result of sin 
you don't have the life that you want because of sin. And Jesus Christ will come in and deal with your sin, and then he will give you the life that you want. Have you heard the gospel communicated that way? What you really want, friends, you want to have a healthy family where people love each other. You want to have financial health and integrity in your life. You want to have peace of mind and stability. You don't want to be uh, racked with anxiety. You want to have a good life. And the problem with your life, the reason you don't have it, is because of sin. You rebelled against God. Jesus will forgive your sin, and then when he comes into the picture, everything will fall into place and things will be good. Your kids are disobedient? Well, come to the church. We'll fix that. Your finances are messed up? Well, come to the church. We'll fix that too. You're lonely? You don't have friends? Come to the church. We'll fix that. You see what I'm saying? All these desires that were your desires before you knew Christ at all, all these desires that are really the desires of people in the world, sometimes the gospel gets preached in such a way to say, this really is still the goal. You're just going about it the wrong way. You tried to get all these things through sin. It doesn't work that way. Come through Christ instead. But the goals don't change. They're the same. It's about wealth and health and peace and prosperity in a human sense. You hear that sometimes, don't you? It is easy to market the church through such means. But friends, that is not the gospel. Because when Jesus Christ calls us, he doesn't just call us to use him as an avenue to seek those things we've always sought. He calls us to abandon the things we've always sought and adopt his goals instead, his agenda. His ends are to become our ends. He is not just a servant that brings us what we've always wanted. He calls us rather to become his servants. He calls us to give all and to follow him. Now, that sounds like a high price, doesn't it? I mean, especially if you want to put it in his language, in Mark chapter 9, well, Mark chapter 8, calling the crowds to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Lose your life. That is a high price, isn't it? Well, friends, in the context of the scriptures, even though the cost is high in that regard, we would be fools not to take it. Because as he makes crystal clear, what he gives to us, what he offers to us freely, even as he calls us to leave our nets behind, to leave our lives behind, is fellowship with him and eternal life with him and an inheritance with him that cannot be measured. There is a great cost, but oh friends, there is this this gift This blessing that so far outweighs the cost, there hardly can be a cost counted at all. That's his point in the the parable that he told about the pearl of great price and the merchant who sells everything in order to have this pearl. The treasure that's buried in the field and the one who finds it and goes and sells all of his possessions in order to get that field where that treasure 
it's buried. The merchant does it gladly. The man who goes to buy the field where the treasure is, he does it willingly. He does not do it through gritted teeth because he knows, even though this costs me everything, oh, this is, this is an exchange that I must make. Jesus makes it crystal clear to his disciples that that is exactly what he's saying in, in Luke chapter 18 when he's speaking to the apostle Peter. This is after the, uh, the rich young ruler walks away from the Lord Jesus. And Peter says, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come. I think I'm, I'm looking at a room full of people Many of you all have followed the Lord Jesus for a long time. And many of you have felt at one time or another the cost. You felt the cost in material terms. You felt the cost in employment, maybe. Maybe you felt the cost relationally. Maybe you felt it with your own children. You felt the pain of what it means to leave behind those things you used to seek to follow after Jesus. But I think I'm also looking at a bunch of people who, though you have felt some of that pain, at this point you can look and say, oh, it was worth it. It was well worth it. Every small thing that it maybe cost me to hold fast to him over the years, he has repaid me. He has kept me. He has sustained me. And this is only the beginning. I think many of you in this room can testify to that. I've not gone through as much life as many of you have. I've not walked with him as long as many of you have, but I can testify to it. There are times that following him has been costly in human terms, and I have felt the pinch of it. Well, I look back now and see, well, it has been worth it, all of it. And so I will gladly follow. Friends, this is part of what discipleship is. To willingly, even gladly, say, I will leave my life behind. I will leave that agenda I was seeking before. I will leave behind those goals that I had set for myself that were merely earthly goals in order that I might follow him. He who died for me, he who gave his life for me, who poured out his blood for me, I can trust him with everything. And if he says, leave it behind, I'll leave it behind. There is a sense in which we must all leave our lives behind to be his disciples. Have you? Have you considered that? Have you looked at the life that in simply human terms, thinking only of this age you were building for yourself, and said, wait a second. This has got to be left behind. This kingdom that I was seeking, these goals... They've got to take second place. They've got to fall far behind if I'm going to follow him. Another way to ask that question, if you look at your life right now and you think about those goals for which you are striving, are they the very same goals as all the people in the world around you? Is it a, a tidy retirement? Is it relationships with my children who are successful? 
Is it those things that the world is striving after? That really ultimately is what you are still striving after. Or have you recognized that the call to follow Jesus is a call to say, ultimately, there are more important things than those things? There is his kingdom that he's calling us to. That's one lesson we learn about discipleship. It is a call to leave. The Lord Jesus calls us to leave our lives behind. The second lesson is that the call to discipleship is a, is a call to follow Christ. The Lord Jesus calls us to follow him. Again, verse, verse 17, we see it very clearly. He literally says, come follow me. And then again, repeated with the other disciples, immediately he called them. Now for the disciples, again, this was a literal and personal sort of following. Jesus was there in the flesh, and he was not going to stand there for long. He was going to continue on his way, and so he said, follow me. And they had to make the choice of going with him, following right behind him. And there are several times in the Gospels where we, we hear of Jesus and his disciples making their way down the road. Sometimes he's ahead, and they're behind him. Sometimes they're behind him arguing about who was the greatest, you know, but, but they're on the road following him. They're literally following him. Which, by the way, that must have been something. For the Lord Jesus Christ to stand there in the flesh, the one who is God in the flesh, to go up to these men alongside the sea and look them in the face and say, follow me. Wouldn't that be marvelous? For God to, to come into the midst of your life when you were in the midst of doing what you were doing and say, follow after me, come with me. What a... What a God who issues an invitation like this. I've come to get you. Now follow me. Right? And they did. They left it behind and they walked after him on the road. And from here on out, you don't hear of the disciples apart from Jesus unless he's told them to do something while he goes and does something else for a little while and comes back to them. They followed him. Now for us, friends, the call to discipleship, the call to follow Christ is not literal in that way. The Lord Jesus is not literally here on the earth in the flesh anymore. He who died on the cross rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. And he sits now at the right hand of God the Father. By the way, it's, just, it's helpful to, for me to remind you. The fact that we do not see Lord, the Lord Jesus right now in the flesh does not mean that he has ceased to exist. He has gone ahead of us, as he said. He sits at the right hand of God, and he awaits the day when he'll return in power. Meaning right now, as I speak to you, as I've said to you many times before, the Lord Jesus lives, and he is our Lord at this hour, and he knows my heart and yours. But having accomplished his earthly ministry and ascended and, seated, and is being seated at the right hand of God in heaven means that we do not have the call to literally, physically follow him as the disciples did. We are called to follow him by going with him in faith, by following his path, and by walking in his ways. To make his goals our goals, to make his priorities our priorities, to make his methods our methods. 
to, with his help and by his spirit sanctifying work, to adopt his very heart and his very mind. As Paul says, have this mind, the mind of Christ among you. I think it is, it's worth noting, friends, that we are to imitate the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. Now, I know that you know that, but I do think that sometimes our reaction against moralism can mute the call to imitate him and consider Jesus to be an example. Right? Sometimes the gospel has been perverted in such a way that Jesus is not a savior, he is merely an example. And we don't want to preach that gospel, so we tell people it's not just about doing what Jesus did, it's about trusting in what he did for you. And that's absolutely the truth. But we can overemphasize that truth in such a way that we lose the fact that we are to follow him as our example. We who trust in him are to walk in the way that he walked. This is Paul's whole point in Philippians chapter 2 in that passage that I quoted. This is the way he was, so you be like this. In 1 John chapter 2, John the Apostle says that those who, those who abide with him will walk in the way that he walked. Jesus himself in John chapter 13, he said, you, my disciples, do as you have seen me do. Follow in my ways serving one another and loving one another. We made this point repeatedly when we were studying the, the fruit of the Spirit at the end of, of Galatians recently. But friends, I think it's important to emphasize you who call on Christ and trust in Him for salvation, you are to be patterning your life after Him, striving to walk in His ways, to think like He thought, to love like He loved, he was a man of the scriptures. You are to be a person of the scriptures. He was a man of prayer. You are to be a person of prayer. He was a man of loving service, even to his enemies. We are to be people of loving service, both to one another and even to our enemies. He was a man who forgave and was willing to even pay a great price for the sake of forgiveness. And we are to be a people who are quick to forgive. He spoke the truth. We are to be people who speak the truth to one another. He suffered patiently through a great trial, trusting in the will of God his Father. We are to be people who suffer through trial, trusting the will of God our Father. We are to look at Christ as an example and follow after him. Not just to trust in his righteousness to save us, but to follow in his ways. That following does not save us. It is Christ and Christ alone who saves. But, oh, friends, the call to follow him is a call to walk as he walked. It is also a personal call, just as it was for the disciples, by the way. Let's note this in passing. It was not a call to a lifestyle. It was not a call to, to merely a new way of doing things and a way of thinking. It was a call to a relationship with him. Those disciples that followed him along the path, they had meals with him. They talked with him. They rested with him. They became his friends and knew him as a friend as they walked with him. And so is the call for us as we follow him. It's not just to, to live like he lived, but to live with him in a real relationship, to walk with him in faith. And so increasingly, though we cannot see him with our eyes and touch him with our hands, increasingly we know what it is to, like John, who at the Last Supper 
reclined and laid his head on Christ's chest. We know what it is to have moments where we, we lay our head on the chest of our Lord. Because it's more than just a religion. It's more than just a lifestyle. It is a person that we know. We will know what it is on the final day to see a friend. As John did in the Revelation. He, I mean, when John saw him, his face was shining like the sun and his hair was white as wool and his voice was like a waterfall roaring and John fell down like he was dead. But that was Jesus who he knew. The same Christ on whom he had reclined at the table. And all friends, that's the call for us in following and to walk with this one in life who we will see on that final day and see as a friend. To not go before a stranger, but to go before the one we've been walking with for years. To have finally seen him whom our soul has loved for so long. In some ways, that's what the walking with him and following his example is about. We don't just read the Bible because we're supposed to. We read the Bible. We don't just read it because he read the Bible. We read the Bible because in reading his word, we have fellowship with him and we know his heart. We pray because prayer is walking in communion with him and turning my soul to him as a friend. We do these things because we have fellowship with him in them. Friends, do you know what it is to follow Jesus in this way? This is the call to discipleship also. It is a call to leave behind li a life that you knew, and it is a call to follow him. A call to walk with him in his ways and to walk with him soul to soul, person to person as a friend. That's what it means to walk as a disciple of the Lord Jesus. Do you know what that is like? You have a sense of a life that is being repatterned after Christ's example. And a life that is lived in actual fellowship with one who I cannot see and yet my soul clings to. Now the third lesson that we see in this, what it is to, to be a disciple here. First, it is a, a leaving of our lives. Second, it is a following Christ. And third, it is a call to work. The Lord Jesus Christ calls us to work for him. In verse 17, he tells these men, Simon and Andrew, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. I will make you become fishers of men. Their call was not just to be individuals leaving the old behind and walking with him as apprentices along the way, students with a guru. He had work for them to do. They who'd been laboring with the fish and the nets, they were going to be laboring for the kingdom now. They had a task before them, and he was going to set them to that task. In a very similar way, in the very same way, we who respond to the gospel call now, respond to be disciples of the Lord Jesus, we do not do so just as individuals who leave the old behind and adopt a new lifestyle morally or, or follow his example personally, but we are also to be engaged in his work. We who were made to work, we turn away from our own self-seeking interest in those things and we dedicate ourselves increasingly to the work that he is doing. 
We're not just to be students of his, not just to be friends of his. We are to be his servants as well. Now, when Jesus told them they would be fishers of men, and it's a familiar uh, phrase because we've heard it many times in the scriptures, but it is an odd phrase, isn't it? It conjures strange images to be fishers of men, you know. I mean, when we think of fishing, we think of a rod and a line. That is not the way that these men thought of fishing. They had these huge nets. Can you imagine a net full of swimmers being drug out of the water? It's an odd thing, isn't it? Now, Jesus was, of course, not calling them. He was not telling them he was literally going to make them fishers of men in that fashion, and they evidently knew that because they left the nets behind. They wouldn't need those nets. But he is calling them to be those who draw out of the world into his boat, as it were, human souls. Those who would engage with him in the work of calling. And if you think of the world as this vast sea filled with fish, they were going to have the task working with Jesus of hauling in these nets, these gospel nets that bring souls out of darkness into light. They would be fishers of men in that way. They'd be engaged in the work with him. And friends, that is very much the work that we are all engaged in, the work of evangelism together, the work of drawing souls out of darkness into light through the proclamation of the gospel message. Some of us are gifted in that regard, and for some of us it comes easily, just as easily as striking up a conversation with the cashier at Kroger. Others of us, it is not so easy difficult to strike up a conversation like that. But oh, all of us together are engaged in the work of hauling in these nets, are we not? Making sure the gospel of Jesus is held up and proclaimed so that it might be heard. And in fact, every single one of us in this room who has heard the gospel message, we've heard it from somebody. We heard it from somebody in a room like this being proclaimed from a pulpit. We heard it one-on-one from somebody in our neighborhood. We heard it in a Sunday school class or a Bible study, or we heard it on the internet being spoken by somebody. This work of being fishers of men, it goes on, it continues. It's the work that we're to be engaged in as a church. We've all been called to be fishers of men in that way. The same work is ongoing. Are you engaged in that work? It's worth just asking as we go by. I'm not asking, are, are, you, are you a person who is gifted at, at grabbing a hold of a, of a neighbor and engaging in a gospel conversation? But are you engaged in the work of holding up the truth of Jesus Christ to a world that is dying for the lack of it? It doesn't take uh, the most extroverted people to do that work. If you, if you were to invite a friend or a neighbor to the service that we'll be having tonight at 6 p.m. in the fellowship hall, Randy Pizzino is going to preach, and I guarantee you he's going to preach the gospel. If you don't know how to explain it to your neighbor, bring them tonight. Randy will explain it. He's explained it many times. Draw the nets in. We'll draw them in together. But draw them in, friends. That's the work that we're being called to. That's the work these disciples were called to. I will note to you, though, it is not just the work of evangelism that Christ calls us to. I do think as we look at this, disciple, this call to discipleship, this call to come follow him, this call to engage in his work, 
It is broader than that. Now, I do think it's not a coincidence that he uses the fishers of men analogy and he's talking to fishermen, right? In a broader sense than just evangelism, he's saying, look, you fellows are over there working. Well, come over here and work with me. You might imagine if, if some of you know I was a cook for years uh, in a restaurant. Imagine the Lord Jesus walking into the kitchen and saying, hey, come, come follow me. I'll have you serve in my own children the bread of heaven, right? Some of you, you know, you, 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 those of you who are engaged in construction and building, you imagine the Lord Jesus work, walking up on the job site and saying, hey, come follow me, and I'll have you building a kingdom with foundations God himself has laid. I'll come, I'll have you working on, on the house of God himself. He has called us to come and to follow him and to engage in that work with him. Friends, as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are not simply trusting in him and running out the clock here. We're not just waiting for the final day. There is a great task to be done on the earth. A great work that God himself is doing in this time and he is not done with it yet. The work of the gospel being proclaimed among the nations. The work of many, many condemned souls coming out of darkness into light. And the work of the church being built up and established in this time. God is doing an incredible work. The work of the church today does not look that impressive to the world around us because they do not understand what he's doing. They do not understand the glory and the beauty of the fact that I used to have no interest in God whatsoever and I was only interested in my own ends. But through the proclamation of the gospel message, this announcement of this good news about who he is, I have been utterly transformed. And now I willingly, gladly recognize him as the Lord and give myself to his service, not just because he's the king. He is, but he died for me and his blood has covered my sin. He's turned me from a rebel and an enemy into a willing servant and a true child adopted in Christ. And he's done that with no lightning bolts. He's done that with no audible word spoken from heaven. He's done that by the proclamation of the gospel and his word. It's a glorious thing. And many, many of you in this room are in the same boat. He has transformed you. And not only that, he's made us a family together here that we were not before. And that is what he's doing. So we can read about the church. We can read about the disciples. We can read about these folks who are our brothers and sisters 2,000 years ago. Here we are on the far side of the earth. Oh, but we've been brought into the same family. That's the work that he's doing. And that's the work that he calls us to. This is, I think this is very significant, especially for, for young people to be understanding. I'm turning my attention here to this portion of the room just because there are some young people sitting here. It's very easy to come to church Sunday after Sunday and think they're just doing the same thing week after week. They're just waiting for their lives to, to what, go on to their end, and then they'll be in heaven with the Lord, and that's what the church is all about. It's just doing the same stuff week after week. That is not what this is all about. We are engaged in a profound, eternal work together. 
the fruit of which is not going to be seen fully until the final day. But when we come together as a church week after week and uphold one another in faith, when we come together week after week and, and have the gospel preached and believe it and sing and worship and pray, souls are maturing and being built up. The gospel is being preached. People are hearing it and they are coming in. And there's a significant work being done. And you, you guys who are thinking about your future, you're thinking about what kind of work you're going to do, how you're going to spend your lives. You want to spend your life on something significant. There is nothing more significant to spend your life on than this. There is nothing more fruitful to give your whole lives to than the work of the kingdom of God. Be somebody who comes and sits in pews week after week after week and worships and prays and hears the gospel preached and reads the Bible and tells it to your neighbors. That is something of drastic significance, and that is the work that Christ is calling us all to. This is the work of discipleship. He calls us to himself to believe the gospel. He calls us to leave behind our lives, to turn and to follow him, to walk in his ways and fellowship with him, and to engage in this great kingdom work that he himself is doing. The fruit will be seen on the final day, but that is the call. Friends, it is worth following him. It is worth giving up everything to follow him. And he will return soon to gather us up. He will return soon to show the true fruit of what he's been doing all along. And the church will be seen for what she really is, his bride. Let us as a church give ourselves to this work of discipleship. It is worth it. Now let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the kindness you have shown us in making us your children. Thank you for extending this call. Thank you for coming into our lives just as you came along the side of the Sea of Galilee into the lives of those fishermen and calling us. Oh, help us to leave behind what should be left behind. Help us to walk away and not be afraid of leaving nets. Help us, oh Lord, to walk with you and never forget that it is you that we're following. And, oh, God, help us to put our hand to the plow and labor alongside you and work with you and learn from you. Thank you for the privilege of being engaged in this work with you. Make it fruitful, we pray. The harvest is plentiful. Oh, God, bring in the harvest, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.